So this teaching on conditionality that the Buddha offered. As I said the other day, there's a kind of a general form of that understanding of that expression that just states the way conditionality works, various forms of it. When this is, that is. When this arises, that arises. When this isn't, that isn't. When this ceases, that ceases. It's just stating a a general principle of relational conditionality. And the teaching of dependent origination understands that teaching or expresses that conditionality in terms of what are the conditions that lead to suffering. A lawful, kind of expressing the lawfulness of how suffering unfolds. That it's not random in our lives, it's not an accident. It's a result of conditions. It's, it arises based on conditions. And that understanding, and there's the this is, that is, this is, uh, this arises, that arises. And there's also an understanding in that expression of conditionality of the arising of suffering that when this isn't, that isn't. When this ceases, that ceases. And so one, um, both implicit and explicit in the teachings, um, understanding of the expression of this is what conditions lead to suffering, is that when those conditions aren't present, suffering doesn't arise. So when this isn't, that isn't. When this ceases, that ceases. And so this is a way, a path, the path to freedom is described. And so, uh, for instance, we've been exploring or talking a little bit more specifically about the feeling, craving, link and if if one really explores opens to the experience of feeling tone pleasant unpleasant neutral with wise mindfulness that that wise seeing of feeling creates the conditions for so it's it's the inclusion of the the mindfulness there is a new condition in the in the field and it creates the conditions for feeling to not lead to craving kind of almost short circuiting the habitual path that typically our minds take when there's something pleasant we kind of lean towards it we like it we want it so there's that 
that movement towards when something unpleasant we 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 lean away we don't like it we want to get rid of it we where there's aversion that's a very as we, as we've been exploring it's a very natural and habituated movement that is not hardwired and seen with mindfulness and wisdom feeling does not lead to craving and when craving does not arise Clinging doesn't arise. Becoming doesn't arise. uh, Birth, suffering don't arise. And so there's that understanding that as the uh, conditions that put suffering together fall apart, the suffering falls apart. And this is a way the path to freedom is described. It's 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 a very foundational understanding that letting go letting go is the direction towards freedom towards happiness towards release and yet letting go is not often so simple sometimes we're experiencing something maybe feeling caught by something. And uh, there's enough understanding to recognize that letting go is the way, but the mind is so caught that it has no idea how to let go. I've had that experience, the just being in searing dukkha understanding how the mind was gripping on to something and my mind recognizing you know there was some part of my mind that said I'd let go if I knew how and in that in that time what we get to see then is the dukkha and we've been talking about the kind of gradual path the, the patient wearing away of the way that we cling and so how do we let go? How do we cult the condi- cultivate the conditions that support the letting go, that give us the, uh, the container in which those conditions for the patient releasing to unfold? How do we do that? And the the Buddha is ba- basically a lot of the teachings of the Buddha are off is offering us conditions that support letting go. And so we can see this, uh, the teaching of dependent origination is a kind of a description of how suffering comes to be and a recognition that this is an impersonal process. This condition is there, this condition follows. So the impersonal nature of the unfolding of the arising of suffering. And likewise, there's a kind of, in, in the Buddha describing the conditions that lead to freedom, the same conditioned nature, conditioned unfolding happens. When this is, that is. When this arises, that arises. 
So the, the, the teachings actually offer conditions that support letting go. That, we can c- that there are conditions that can ki- be cultivated that support freedom. And so in one teaching, actually, the Buddha was reflecting. It's described as a reflection on freedom. And his reflection is like, oh, what is it that supports freedom? Freedom has supporting conditions. He, he, he recognizes this. He's like, freedom has supporting conditions. What are the supporting conditions for freedom? And, and begins kind of working his way back. Now, kind of in a similar fashion to the way the teaching of dependent origination is described, it's like, well, how is suffering created? Suffering is created because of that things end, they cease, they you know, aging and death. And how does that happen? Well, things come into being, birth. How does that happen? Well, there's an intention towards being, becoming. And so he kind of worked his way back to understand the conditions that led to the arising of suffering. And in a similar way, he works his way back here to understand what are the conditions supporting freedom? And it's actually, he worked his way back and the place where he came back to was suffering. Suffering is a supportive condition for freedom when it's met with wisdom. This is useful to remember. Suffering is a supportive condition for freedom. Freedom. Freedom doesn't happen by somehow magically transcending, floating above suffering and landing in Nibbana somewhere. Freedom happens through contact with dukkha. Dukkha being understood. This is the first noble truth. Understanding dukkha. This is a supportive condition for freedom. And so there's a, a chain that the Buddha describes of what's sometimes termed transcendent dependent arising that starts with suffering and looks at the conditions that support suffering moving to freedom. And I'm just going to read these right now. Now, one thing I want to just stay, say here is that, that, again, this is the same, the same lawful progress, the same lawful understanding that there are, are conditions that support the arising of dukkha. But there are also conditions, very natural conditions, a natural unfolding. Same lawfulness of unfolding that supports the arising of freedom. This recalls to me that 
um, uh, reflection I offered around just as all the rivers slant, slope, incline towards the ocean, so the Eightfold Path slants, slopes, inclines towards Nibbana. It's like we, we find ourselves on this path basically because we've, when we had a certain condition of suffering, we met or heard the teaching, heard some expression of freedom is possible this is possible. Here's, here's a way towards freedom. And in moving in that direction, it's like we get into that conditioned chain, that conditioned arising towards freedom. And so right now I'm just going to read these this direction, these links. I'm not going to try to, uh, not going to describe them right now. Just, just give you the flavor of this condition, the conditions that lead to freedom, to suffering. Condition of suffering supports the arising of faith. Faith supports the arising of delight. Delight supports the arising of rapture or joy. Rapture supports tranquility. Tranquility supports happiness. Happiness supports concentration. Concentration supports knowledge and vision of things as they are. Knowledge and vision of things as they are supports disenchantment. Disenchantment supports dispassion. Dispassion supports Release, freedom, and release supports the understanding that freedom has been reached. The sutta is found in the Samyutta Nikaya. I'll post the reference. And in that, he offers an analogy around this kind of natural unfolding. And it's, the, it's, it's a water analogy again. And so just in terms of the natural leading from suffering to faith, to delight, to joy, to tranquility, to happiness, to concentration, he says, just as when rain descends heavily upon some mountain top, the water flows down along with the slope and fills the clefts, gullies, and creeks. These being filled up, the pools fill, 
the pools being filled up, the ponds fill. The ponds being filled up, the streams fill. The streams being filled up, the rivers, and the rivers fill the ocean. Again, just that image of just, you know, the natural, it's like gravity, water running downhill. The natural unfolding of this path. And yet, this doesn't mean that we don't have to do any work. (laughs) And yet, I'll describe a little bit about, you know, the way this natural unfolding supports itself as we go. Because as the path unfolds, you know, there's a there's there's a lot of feedback loops between these links. We'll call them links be- in this chain. Feedback loops between these links. And so, for instance, when there when there is some faith, when when we encounter a teaching of wisdom, of possibility for freedom. It may, it may be it may be somebody sends us a book and we see, read a book, or maybe we meet someone, we see someone who seems to engage so differently, and they say, "Yeah, this is what's this has really been helpful to me." Why I tell you, I used to be really caught by all kinds of stuff, and this path has freed the mind. You know, just seeing how somebody is can be that supporting condition for faith. That so so faith faith arises, and that faith leads us on to some engagement. And this this kind of the beginning part of this chain um, is very it's, it's very similar to what I talked about earlier in the retreat and the teaching on the simile of the cloth. You know that when when we begin to understand our suffering, you know when we that that teaching began with the defilements, with the stains, and you know, recognizing these stains are suffering. These stains need to be abandoned, and and the work to begin to explore them. And as they're abandoned, confidence arises, and from that confidence, delight, joy, tranquility. Happiness, concentration, follow. That sutta kind of ter- uh, uh, goes through that same ter- the same terrain of this early part, that this is a natural unfolding. And so as, as there is faith that arises, confidence in the path, not only at first there's just confidence that maybe this is worth trying, worth stepping onto this path, but as we start to engage, there's some delight that begins to arise. Partly the, I mean, the different different levels of delight in, in effect. I mean, first, the, the first kind of delight that might arise is just simply, wow, maybe it is possible. So that's a, a little tiny bit of delight. And then, and then so there's a little more encouragement to actually engage 
we try some of the practices. And then we begin to see, as you have all seen, you've all described seeing how some suffering can be held or met, and, and the kind of sense of delight in the seeing of it. That is this delight in this point. And as faith leads to engagement and we start to, to see our experience and recognize this is a path. This feels onward leading. It's, it's leading towards different kinds of well-being that I've experienced before. We, we, we begin to trust that direction. So more confidence develops. So there's a feedback loop there right between faith and delight. And so faith is a supporting condition for delight, but then delight strengthens the faith. And we can look at every pair here and see each one is the supporting condition for the arising of the next. So happiness supports the arising of concentration and concentration deepens happiness. Deeper and deeper kinds of happiness, the more concentrated the mind gets. Subtler and subtler kinds of happiness. And it's not just between, between the links themselves, this kind of reinforcing feedback loop that happens on the path. As we start to, you know, understand things as they are, we may get a taste of understanding dukkha really clearly and seeing how some um, uh, dukkha releases and clinging releases. That supports faith and joy and concentration. So again, all of these feedback loops. And so this is one of the ways in which it's onward leading we're on that slope, the natural running of the water downhill. Water doesn't have to work to run downhill. And yet, admittedly, it gets caught up at times in eddies or little bypasses, you know, little, little s pools there it might get stuck in until it fills up there in that pool and then overflows. So this chain I see isn't really so much of a chain. I'm thinking of it as, oh, faith leads to delight. Delight leads to joy. We might think, okay, I need to really get the faith going and then maybe I'll get some delight. And really get the delight going and then maybe I'll get some joy. And, and concentration, well, that'll come when I get happy. And so, so we might think of it that way. But the way it works is, is much more like a spiral a little bit of faith puts us on the path leading to a little bit of a little bit of delight and and actually a little bit of understanding things as they are as we start to engage we we go through a, a cycle of that and that feeds back to more faith which encourages us that kind of deepening very natural deepening that happens as we start on the path sometimes people get to a place where it's like well there's nothing else i can do this is this is this is the only thing that makes sense. And then there's a little bit of a 
The paradox about this chain in some ways, or about this teaching of transcendent dependent arising, that it is describing conditions that support freedom, support that breakthrough to release. And these conditions that are supporting freedom, essentially they are all supporting the capacity of the mind to let go. Ultimately including letting go of any kind of clinging, even to delight, joy, happiness, tranquility, concentration. There's no place for clinging. Nothing is worth clinging to, the Buddha said. Nothing is worth clinging to. In the simile of the raft, he talked about we use the raft to cross over the flood of suffering, the flood of greed, aversion, and delusion. And we get to the other side. It doesn't make any sense to carry that raft around on our heads. We put that raft down. And at the end of that teaching, he said, and so I, I teach you that the Dharma is like a raft for the purpose of crossing over, not for the purpose of clinging. And so clinging is released even to wholesome mind states, how much more so unwholesome mind states. And so paradoxically, there is this cultivation of conditions supporting freedom. And yet those conditions are headed in the direction of release, letting go even of these conditions. And yet, I love that raft analogy. You know, we can't let go of the raft while we're crossing over the flood. If we do, we'll drown. And so there's a a way in which we we stay connected with the path and maybe even hold on to it sometimes while we're crossing. Holding on to the raft allows us to move across the suffering. We We can begin to let go of some of the major, some of the ways that we are clinging the things that create the major sufferings. And at some point, some of those major kinds of sufferings have fallen away, we begin to experience the suffering of the holding on to the Dharma. And then the Dharma points to helping us let go of even that. And so the first part, um, suffering, when met with a teaching 
and a kind of a curiosity about search. This is this is what the Bhikkhu Bodhi says: is that um, suffering from suffering will either arise um, bewilderment, so heading back into the chain of de- dependent origination and ignorance, creating suffering more and more suffering, spiraling us into that pattern, or suffering leads to search. But it's not enough to lead to search. There needs to be some meeting of some teaching that points us in a direction. There are few beings, apparently, in the world, in the history of the world, that have the capacity to find the path without somebody teaching them about it. But they are the exception. Most of us need help. And so we need to hear this teaching. And so faith supports delight. Delight supports joy, joy, tranquility, tranquility, happiness. Essentially, this description is kind of the beginnings of engagement with the practice and some cultivation of the stability of mind, cultivating a stability of mind with meeting experience. These states are the, um, the kind of the deepening towards concentration and the, the factors that kind of come and put concentration together. All of these, these um, or s- several of these are rapture, happiness, are... Uh, um, factors of concentration. And so as we uh, engage in the path, one of the things that starts to happen is we, we uh, at times, um, the hindrances fall away. And again, this happens because we have a direction. The wisdom, right view is crucial for this path, for this direction. That suffering leads to faith. It's faith in right view. And that right view is, a, is also very foundational. And so as we explore our experience, right view inclines us to understanding our reactivity and and that understanding our reactivity the hindrances begin to weaken and we may experience moments when the hindrances fall away this experience of the hindrances not arising this is experienced as as joy the bliss of seclusion sometimes it's called and then as we uh continue practicing, we begin to recognize that in that joy, in that rapture of the, the bliss, there's a little bit of energy there. And, and uh, you know, the mind is, is heading towards release all through this process, actually, heading towards letting go, letting go of anything that is creating any kind of disturbance. 
And we see, we start to recognize that, you know, initially what was really creating disturbance was all the hindrances. And now in the space of the delight, the, the rapture, the, the joy, there's a, a kind of an understanding of, oh, a little bit of extra energy here. It's like that extra energy feels a little agitating. And then the mind begins to release that energy. This is the tranquility. It's the natural direction, the path, as we get on this direction, get in this downhill rain running downhill trajectory. This is the way it leads towards releasing any kind of disturbance. And so the releasing of the energetic part of the joy, the tranquility. And as the energetic part of the joy is released, happiness is the quality. Sweet, sweet happiness. One of the things I like to point to here is in in hearing this description, I think I pointed to this the other day in talking about the simile of the cloth, but just as a reminder, this is a description of the conditions that lead us to freedom. Delight, joy, happiness are on the path. Take them in when they arise as a result of the path. I keep I have been pointing to this a lot, you know, in your descriptions. People will talk about, you know, oh seeing seeing something released and I say, and how was that? What was the experience? It was delightful. Notice that. Notice those conditions. Notice the conditions of delight, of joy, of tranquility, of happiness. They are supportive conditions onward leading. We can focus kind of sometimes on the suffering and and that that has gone away and talking about that, but notice the, the conditions that are supporting that and the conditions that result from that letting go. And so happiness is the supporting condition for concentration. This is a great teaching, a great (laughs) reminder. You know, and again, there are different kinds of concentration. The one-pointed concentration that comes from um, staying stable with one object leads more towards absorption, stability of mind on. It's like the mind constructs stillness and rests there. And the, the moment-to-moment concentration, which is a stability of mindfulness, and yet awareness, that stability of mindfulness can know dynamically changing experience. And so the experience, there may be the sense of the stillness of the awareness while there is the dynamic changing flow of life unfolding. And so different experiences, the one-pointed concentration and the moment-to-moment concentration, they are both concentration and um, 
um, you know, the uh, sometimes the teaching about the one-pointed concentration is that you know we we can cultivate that one-pointed concentration and then open to changing experience. That's particularly the way some meditation practices work. We we cultivate concentration on a single experience and then let go and open, and then the mind is seeing that dynamically changing experience in this field of a mind that's pretty stable. That's one way that the practice unfolds. This practice that we're working with is, is more like a slow or settle into that stability. And yet, this kind of settling that we're doing with concentration, it's really stable. Because we're settling through all of the stuff in our minds, all of the ways our minds does the myriad things it does that get us hooked. We're not directing our attention to one thing, let go of anything, not that. Our mind is settling right through its own patterns and habits and stabilizing to be able to be with all the mess of it. And so it's a very stable form of concentration. It's a slower settle at times. Well, it depends on the mind. Sometimes, sometimes for some people, the, the one-pointed concentration just is not what their minds do. But, but um, this, uh, this form of concentration um, may take a little more time, but it, it is able to meet a wide range of experience. Sometimes people talk about like in the in the one pointed concentration, you know, you're you're practicing, you're practicing, and then suddenly like the leaf blower starts outside and boom, the concentration's gone. In this practice, we're practicing awareness of the sound of leaf blower, noticing the reaction, noticing what's happening there. The concentration stabilizes in the midst of act of our of what's happening. On this path, concentration is kind of right in the middle. And it is the, what it's pointing to here is the concentration, the, in a way, what it leads to next points to how right view informs the concentration. Because right view has to come in to head the concentration in the right direction because we can kind of get stuck in concentration. The states of concentration can be very pleasant and they can almost seem like a know, well, this is good, I'll stop here. And um, um, the right view points us to this concentration is a tool to be used in the service of liberation. We aim that concentration to understanding suffering. And so we apply this concentrated mind and this, this is a useful, I found this a useful reflection too. Concentration in the service of liberation. This was a beautiful, it just like made my heart happy to reflect on that. Sometimes when the mind was doing concentration, it's like, oh right, and this is in the service of liberation. And so we, we direct the mind, or the mind, because right view is in the mind, the concentration Sometimes we have to remind ourselves, direct this to understanding things as they are. This is the next link in the chain. Concentration 
supports knowledge and vision of things as they are. This is yatabhuta, a Pali term for this link. Yatabhuta jnanadasana. Yatabhuta, things as they are. Jnanadasana, knowledge and vision. Seeing things as they are. What is it that we see as it is? Suffering. We see essentially, I think this is a kind of, this image came to me as I was reflecting on this. It's like, this concentration, it's like we're, we're, we, we, there's this image of the transcendent dependent origination underneath at the bottom is the chain of dependent origination, suffering, mental formations, consciousness, etc., all the way b- around becoming back to suffering. And then de- transcendent dependent origination is like suffering to faith, to delight, to joy, concentration, knowledge and vision, freedom. So it's kind of depicted in that way of a, cy- a cycle down here. We kind of are stuck down here, but we kind of move. When there's the teaching of wisdom, we start moving on to this path. And yet, what does this path see? This mess. <laughs> this, this cycle of that dependent origination. So the concentrated mind opens to seeing the formation of suffering. As we meet that, we begin to understand impermanent, unreliable, not self. This is knowledge and vision of things as they are. Not me, not mine, not who I am. And this also, this seeing of things as they are, really begins to reinforce those earlier links. The delight, the joy, the concentration. The next link, understanding things as they are, supports disenchantment. So disenchantment, I love that word actually because it's very evocative of you know, disen- you know, enchanting, you know, you're, when you're enchanted in the fairy tales, you are, you know, trapped in some kind of world and um, unable to see things clearly, you know, or, or you're enchanted into sleep. That's often an image in the fairy tales. You're enchanted into sleep. Um, you're enchanted to see things only in a certain way. Disenchantment is a good thing. The, the, the dictionary definition, I looked this up today. This was pretty good. No longer believing in the value of something, especially after having learned the faults that it has. This is natural. You know, we see things as they are. We understand the faults of clinging, basically. We see impermanence and the, the faults of clinging are very readily apparent. This just doesn't work. So we're disenchanted with clinging. We're disenchanted with craving. We see through our delusive beliefs that 
clinging is going to lead to happiness. We see it's a really paltry kind of happiness that clinging leads to because we've had some other tastes, different ha- happiness coming through understanding. Bhikkhu Bodhi had, so this, um, this stack of papers I have here, this is, a, this is Bhikkhu Bodhi's exposition on this topic, and it's available online. Um, and so I'm going to quote a few things from here, um, um, from what he says, what, what Bhikkhu Bodhi says. And I loved this piece in the, descri- he goes through every single link, you know, pages and pages on each link. So, you know, I'm just like, you know, skimming the surface here. Um, the, um, the, the understanding of disenchantment, he says, the dissipation of disenchantment, the disim- dissipation of enchantment with the kaleidoscopic pleasures of conditioned existence, whether in the form of sense enjoyment, emotions, or ideas. I love that, the kaleidoscopic pleasures. That's what we're just like, we're, we're entranced by the kaleidoscope. Wow. And we see through it. We understand it's not where happiness can be found. And we're, n- we're no longer drawn to what has enchanted us. The enchantment, the bubble has been burst. The next disenchantment supports dispassion. Now dispassion may have a flavor for us of like kind of checked out or, you know, somehow a feeling of aversion in it. I don't know. The word can evoke something of like, why would I want to not, why would I want to be dispassionate? Isn't that, it's kind of like the misunderstanding around equanimity, where equanimity means I don't care. But it's not that. It's a deep seeing you know, kind of, as I pointed to, the, the um, nothing is worth clinging to. It's all, worthy of res- it's all worthy of being seen. The mind has no inclination to move towards or away from anything as that disenchantment happens. No inclination to move towards or away. And yet that doesn't, it's not like we don't care. It's that, it's, it's the real landing with experience, the being, the, the meeting of experience. And so we're not, no longer drawn towards any form of clinging. We're not interested in it anymore. And the mind understands this is the way to freedom. At this point, this is, this is an understanding that's said to happen here, that this kind of non-wavering, not being pulled for, no, no movement towards or away, this is the way to freedom. And again, I think it's partly, it's because the system feeling that, experiencing that, deeply understands the, the well-being that that points to. And so, 
there's just no interest in that other world of enchantment. The um, different, different people say this link may be different things. Um, Bhikkhu Bodhi says this dispassion is the first taste of freedom. And that mind that is still unwavering towards or away, there's the taste of release. It's the taste of freedom, the taste of the unconditioned. We've been enchanted by the conditioned world and the mind begins to recognize that being enchanted by the conditioned world leads to suffering and begins to release that enchantment and taste the unconditioned. And here's what Bhikkhu Bodhi says about this. And this, is, this was just a, such a beautiful reflection. Though the realization of the unconditioned requires, and he uses the word, a turning away from the conditioned. I'd say it, it requires a letting go. Though the realization of the conditioned requires a turning away from the conditioned, it must be emphasized that this realization is achieved precisely through the understanding of the conditioned. Nibbana cannot be reached by backing off from a direct confrontation with samsara to lose oneself in a blissful oblivion to the world. The path to liberation is a path of understanding, of comprehension and transcendence, not of escapism or emotional self-indulgence. Nibbana can only be attained by turning one's gaze towards samsara and scrutinizing it in all its starkness. This is where we started. Suffering leads to freedom. Suffering is the supporting condition for freedom. And then dispassion supports emancipation, freedom, release. This Bhikkhu Bodhi says is the full, fully liberated, full freedom. And this points to some extent Bhikkhu Bodhi's understanding of these two links of dispassion being a kind of a taste of freedom and uh, release being the full freedom is pointing to the, the way that this path is a gradual letting go of the things of, of clinging, gradual letting go of, sometimes they're termed fetters that bind us to this conditioned world. And there's an understanding of different stages of that freedom. We're different ones of those fetters, those things that stick us to the conditioned world are released. And the final, the final stage 
is the recognition, the understanding, kind of like it's like release, freedom. My sense of it is like, it's not in the cognitive realm. Release is in a different, in a different realm. The unconditioned, you know, it's not, it's not the world of the conditioned. It's, it's, it's a different territory. Well, territory is not even a good word for it. But it's not in the realm of our cognitive understanding. And yet I think it's interesting that the, this, the Buddha points to the last step on the path is that non conditioned, that unconditioned experience, that thing that can't probably be put into words fully, is expressed through our understanding. A cognitive recognition of freedom is the last step on this path, the last piece. And here is a description of this. And this is kind of going through the, the last couple of links. One understands as it really is, this is suffering. This is the origin of suffering. This is the cessation of suffering. This is the path to the cessation of suffering. These are the taints. This is the origin of the taints. This is the cessation of the taints. Taints basically being another word for defilement, stains. And as he is and as one is knowing and seeing thus, the mind is liberated from the taint of sensuality, from the taint of existence and the taint of ignorance. When it is liberated, the knowledge arises in him. In one. Sorry, I'm having to do the gender neutrality here on the fly. When it is liberated, the knowledge arises in one. It is liberated. One understands what has been released. And I think we can use this understanding in a way to support us on the path, the recognition that it's helpful to know when something is released. It's helpful to know when something is not arising. And this understanding is also pointed to in, in all the way in the path, the in particular in the teaching on the hindrances, the Buddha encourages, notice when the hindrances are present, notice when they're absent. Notice the release, notice what has been released. In this, in this final step, it is the understanding. The mind is free. Sometimes it's said, there is no more coming to be for this being. This being is freed. And so I hope that this exploration is an encouragement in some 
different ways. And it can just be a simple encouragement, just even if there can be the sense of, hmm, freedom is possible. That can be a supportive condition on the path. Even if it's as simple as recognizing delight and joy are part of the path. Or freedom comes by meeting suffering. This suffering that's arising in this moment, it's not a mistake. This is the path. This is where freedom, this is a supporting condition for freedom. I think that's where I'll I'll stop. You know, suffering is a supporting condition for freedom. So let's sit for a minute. 